Welcome to Healthcare on the Front Lines, our podcast dedicated to America's healthcare system and the women and men who make it work. I am Kimberly Aline, your host, and on this episode, Medicaid, the heart of the matter, we're talking with people who know just how critical Medicaid is for the 74 million Americans who rely on it. And these are people who are deeply committed to protecting Medicaid now and in the future. Medicaid has grown substantially year by year as a vital source of primary health care and long-term care to nearly one in five Americans. Here are a few stats. Medicaid covers one in three children. It provides nursing home care for two in three nursing home residents. One in seven individuals with disabilities has health care thanks to Medicaid. And it is Medicaid, not Medicare, that is the primary payer of all long-term care, including home care services. We have packed in this episode several enlightening conversations all about Medicaid just for you. First, you'll hear from Jeff Guerin. Jeff is president of Heart Research Group, and he will discuss polling data that show a majority of Americans favor Medicaid and want to keep it in place. Next, you'll hear a conversation with Rob Restucia and Kelly Gregory. Rob is executive director of Community Catalyst and Community Catalyst Action Fund. Kelly is a healthcare advocate, a stage four breast cancer patient, and she's also one of two million veterans who depend on Medicaid. And in the final piece of this show, you'll hear from Thomasine Wilson, who is a home care worker in Richmond, Virginia. Thomasine is a staunch Medicaid advocate, and she is also a member of SEIU Virginia 512, where she is chairperson of the home care committee there. Medicaid, the heart of the matter. Let's listen in now. Welcome, Jeff Guerin, to the show. We appreciate you stopping by um, for this call-in segment of our podcast. I want to talk to you about Medicaid and public support. When we ask voters about Medicaid, what does recent polling show, particularly since Trump's election? Well, Medicaid is a popular program with voters, and it's gotten more popular since President Trump and the Republicans have started to attack it. I think there's been greater appreciation about the role that Medicaid plays um, and its importance to, uh, to the country. The interesting thing about uh, Medicaid is that uh, when you look at the broad majority support for Medicaid and with the large majority of voters expressing a favorable opinion of it, that really cuts across party lines. Democrats are more likely to be favorable to Medicaid than Republicans are, but even among Republicans and even among Trump voters, about half have a favorable feeling toward the Medicaid program and, uh, and, uh, and oppose uh, 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 making big cuts in it. And so when the Republicans or, and the Trump administration start attacking Medicaid, in fact, they are attacking a program that many of the voters in their base uh, like a lot and many uh, depend on Trump voters didn't elect Donald Trump to uh, take, take the Medicaid system apart. 
In fact, if you remember back to the campaign, you know, Trump said he was going to make sure everybody had access he to did. cheaper, yeah. better health care. And so that that was part of the promise that, that he made uh, back then. And uh, honestly, other issues were more important to uh, to Trump voters when they voted for him, because there are a lot of working class voters, white voters, frankly, mm-hmm. who otherwise are, would be inclined to support Republicans who would feel personally under attack if uh, people were trying to take away their access or their family's access or their relatives' access to affordable health care through, through the Medicaid program. Right, right. So when we're talking about electing candidates and we're approaching midterms, if Medicaid slash health care was not top of mind for voters in the 16 election, we know that it will be for midterms. And so what does this mean for candidates as we're leading up to midterms in a few months? Well, health care and the cost of health care are, I I think, are, are the dominant issues on voters' minds today, just in terms of their own lives, the cost of health care is the major economic stressor for, for, for people today. And frankly, their, kind of, their focus is on uh, the degree to which wages are not keeping up with helping them keep up with the cost of living. And the biggest driver in their cost of living is a high uh, health, health insurance cost and drug costs. Um, but that, uh, uh, all of that tends to put uh, uh, a special um, premium for voters on maintaining uh, access to affordable health care, uh, including through the Medicaid program. And, you know, in recent polling we've done for Protect Our Care, uh, one of the things that, that if, if people know that a Republican supports making large cuts to the Medicaid program, that that would um, incline uh, voters to be much less favorable to that Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. And uh, even among many, pe- many people who are otherwise inclined to vote for a Republican say that they would be much less favorable to a Republican candidate who wants to make big cuts in Medicaid. Right. So, uh, and the reality is that most Republicans do want to make big cuts to Medicaid. Yes, they it do. Is it, you know, especially after the uh, that uh, giant tax giveaway, they have to pay for it somehow. That's right. And cutting Medicaid is one of the ways that they're they're paying for it. So today we've been talking about Medicaid, the heart of the matter. Uh, Medicaid is a critical source of care for 74 uh, million Americans, um, seniors, people with disabilities, children, and working people. These people count on Medicaid, and Medicaid is indeed becoming a fast emerging and political measuring stick for voters when it comes to electing candidates or holding them accountable on their health care record. Joining us today is Rob Restucia. Rob is the executive director at Community Catalyst and Community Action Fund. Also welcome Kelly Gregory. Kelly is uh, from Tennessee. She's an Air Force veteran. She's also a stage four breast cancer patient and a very staunch healthcare advocate. Welcome, Rob. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's our privilege to have you. 
And so I want to get uh, started right away. Rob, first question goes to you. We're talking about Medicaid. How has Medicaid grown to become such a critical source of care for so many Americans and why? Well, Medicaid is really the basic health health insurance program for millions of Americans. It includes children, seniors and nursing homes, adults and people with disabilities and parents. It provides coverage uh, in health care such as preventive services, Medicaid, long-term care, and nursing care. Medicaid was part was passed pretty much as an afterthought following the passage of Medicare in 1965. But over the years, it's gradually grown, increasing eligibility and entitlement, uh, particularly for children, parents, uh, and um, and disabled adults. But the exciting part of the most recent expansion came with the Affordable Care Act uh, to expand Medicaid to low-income, all low-income uh, residents up to 138% of poverty. Uh, unfortunately, the Supreme Court made a decision that has limited it uh, to a number of states. Right now, I think there are 34 states that have passed Medicaid expansion but there are 17 states, including Tennessee, that haven't. Lots of great background there on such an important program that gives access to care to seniors, to people with disabilities, to children. A very important uh, vehicle. Kelly, if I were to ask you um, about Medicaid, I think you would have a very personal story um, to share with us. Is that right? I, I, I would indeed, Kimberly. Yeah. So can you tell me um, what your experience is with Medicaid? Um, and how that, how your battle to get Medicaid started? My um, healthcare issues, or my my, um, my 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 conflict with our healthcare system began in uh, the early 2000s when I had a string of heart attacks, and um, I had private insurance at the time. I was a small business owner, and I was diagnosed with a genetic clotting disorder, and. After that series of heart attacks and after my diagnosis, my insurance uh, gradually over a couple of years, uh, my private insurance, the cost increased exponentially. And I went from a, a really good policy um, that was just a little over $100 a month that, that gave me good coverage to a policy that cost me about $25,000 out of pocket annually uh, before any of the, the coverage kicked in. And that eventually became untenable and I had to drop that insurance. And then I was not able to be insured by any other, any other provider because of my health issues. Fast forward to Christmas of, of 2010, it was my, my daughter's first year of college and she was home on a Christmas vacation. And, and over Christmas break, I found a lump in my left breast. Um, I was 41 years old and I was single and I was unemployed at the time. She went back to school and over the next few weeks and months I told myself that it it was that it this this it wasn't serious. It was a, a cyst or a fibroid or, or 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 something. This this couldn't possibly be happening to me. We didn't have a history of breast cancer in my family. We didn't even have a history of cancer. Hmm. So it just didn't seem uh possible that this was happening. Uh but it was and the lump continued to grow. I finally confronted the reality uh, that that something something very serious was happening to me, and then I went about trying to get the basic level of health care that I needed, a, a breast cancer screening, so that I could get um, 
that first line of care and get a get a mammogram and and then and biopsy and that was very difficult because I had no insurance and um, I finally actually was able to get that basic cancer screening at my local Planned Parenthood clinic. By this time, the lump in my breast was about the size of a deck of cards, mm. and um, it had adhered to the muscle wall. It had adhered to the side of my breast. My breast was misshapen. I was in pain, and it it was obvious that something very serious was happening. And my mammogram was serious enough that it was conclusive for cancer without a biopsy. And um, that next morning, I was sitting in my county health department being signed up for for Medicaid. My goodness. Uh, First of all, I I thank you for joining us on the show, but thank you for sharing your story. I'm struck by the ironies because isn't it true, uh, Robert Kelly, correct me if I'm wrong, that Tennessee was the first state to take Medicaid, uh, the Medicaid waiver and to make it a program for for working people. I mean, it's, you know, the 10 care program. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was in the, yeah, that was in the, in the, in the mid nineties. I remember that. Yeah. And it was really a national model where, where it expanded, I believe it expanded coverage for, uh, for folks up to 200% of poverty um, and was viewed really as a national model. But uh, over the years, funding was cut back. Uh, there was a resistance to raise taxes in order to support it. And uh, as a result, uh, eligibility has decreased dramatically. So now yeah. Tennessee is one of the states that hasn't expanded Medicaid. In Tennessee, not only have we not accepted the, the, the Medicaid expansion money, but we have slashed our Medicaid program to the, to the point that it's not enough. If, if, you're, if you're an adult and you don't have a, a minor in your household, it's not enough to be poor you in order to get medicaid you you have to be poor and you have to have suffered a catastrophic illness of some kind that's right or someone you love has suffered a catastrophic illness and you are now their full-time care provider right just to say the irony is that the state uh the federal government would pay for most of that expansion and uh you know that uh by expanding Medicaid, over 200,000 additional people would be covered in Tennessee, and yeah. most of it paid for by the federal government. The, the, the really, this, this is really going to blow your mind, Rob, and probably uh, the minds of a lot of people listening. In the state of Tennessee, it actually would cost us nothing because the Tennessee Hospital Association, the, the Medicaid expansion, um, uh, the way the ACA law was written, the federal government would pay 90% of the cost of the expansion, and the states were then to pick up the additional 10%. In Tennessee, uh, the Tennessee Hospital Association offered to pick up that 10% so that it would literally not cost the state a dime to expand Medicaid. I, I want to repeat that. It would not cost the state anything. And uh, current projections now are that it would be close to 300,000 Tennesseans would be covered by, by, by the Medicaid expansion. Not, not only that, there would be thousands of jobs created. Right. Right now, Tennessee, Tennessee is second, is, is second in the country, and the number of rural hospitals that have closed are, 
or are in danger of closing. The only state that exceeds that number is Texas. And Texas has, uh, the last time I looked, has, I, I believe, almost, um, almost two and a half times the population that Tennessee does. We are, we are losing rural hospitals at an alarming rate. We have areas of the state where if you have a stroke or a heart attack, you are going to have to drive an hour and a half to get to the nearest emergency room. What's really at the root of that? Why would a state turn an offer down like that? Why would a state turn down Medicaid expansion at all? Yeah, I think it's part of actually a Republican agenda really to roll back entitlement programs like Medicaid, like Social Security, like Medicare for all people in the country. Medicaid is really only one of the things that they're trying to attack. Um, we have a, an administration and a Congress that really doesn't want to see people get the health care they need. And I think Kelly's story is an exact uh, example of why uh, we need uh, uh, Medicaid expansion. You know, I think a lot of it's just really base, basically ideological. Um, you know, they don't believe in the government helping people. And so I think that... Uh, you know, it's it's a startling thing when you look at the polling data showing that almost in every state, people are supporting the Medicaid expansion. It's overwhelmingly supported by the public, yet we have an, in, an intransigent administration and an intransigent Congress. It just really always stirs me up, this issue of Medicaid. Um, 74 million Americans rely on it. You know, as I talked about at the top of the show, it has become such a critical uh, vehicle for people to access care. Uh, Medicaid covers one in three children. It provides nursing home care for two and three nursing home residents. One in seven people with disabilities um, has health care, access to care, thanks to Medicaid. Um, And it's Medicaid, not Medicare. Um, that is the primary payer of all long-term care, including home care services. Uh, So the ongoing and systemic attack by uh, Republicans, conservatives, right-wing people, whatever you want to label them as, to snatch that from people um, is, is really concerning. And in terms, Rob, of threats, we've seen just in recent weeks how we've seen the revival of attempts to bring back you know, by Republicans to to end the ACA again, you know, and then there's Texas uh, versus America, just this ongoing attempt to undermine access to health care insurance for millions of people, uh, seniors, children, people with disabilities. Can we talk about the immediate threats to Medicaid? Uh, you know, what are the threats? Well, I think one of the major threats which you're seeing play out in Tennessee, as well as many other states, is the imposition of work requirements which um, is really just a barrier to keep people off the program. Uh, In Kentucky, they passed work requirements, and there's a waiver of which we're participating along with other groups in trying to stop um, those work requirements, which would knock off about a fifth of the Medicaid population. So, you know, if they can't repeal it directly, what the Republicans seem to be doing is setting up barriers, more and more barriers to keep people from getting it. Um, You know, as you mentioned, there is another resurrection of uh, Republican legislation that that, uh, they tried to pass numerous times that would have uh, eliminated the the Medicaid program as an entitlement. 
which meant that uh, states would be held liable for any cost increases. Uh, and they would, uh, the Republican plan was to dramatically cut back the amount of money going to Medicaid. So over a period of 10 years, by the end of 10 years, Medicaid would be only have 40% of the revenue it previously had. Um, you know, it's unlikely that that will come up between now and uh, the end of the year. Um, but we know there is an election coming up. The election is critical. Um, if the Republicans have they, their way, they'll have a uh, with a, a control of the Senate and the House. They're going right back at uh, repealing Medicaid and you know getting rid of the Medicaid expansion and cutting back dramatically. Um, uh, the Texas lawsuit is an example where uh, the uh, number of states are are saying because the tax bill eliminated the individual, the, uh, the, the penalty for the individual mandate, that the whole ACA should be repealed. Kelly, that, that takes me to you. I want to hear about how you've become involved as a, as a health care advocate. Can you tell me how you got started with that? I've always been in, involved in, in issues and, and um, involved in, uh, in, in my community and, and cared about what was going on. Obviously, when I was diagnosed with with cancer in 2011, and um, it, it wasn't long after I was first diagnosed that they it found that the, the cancer had had metastasized, and it was uh, stage four and 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 terminal. That uh, the issue of healthcare took on a very real immediacy for me. And um, after the uh, uh, election of, of 2016, it, it became apparent to me that. I was going to have to become more involved, more deeply, and more energetically. So I have, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a person of deep, deep faith. I've been a Sunday school teacher and um, involved in my, the life of my church for many years. And um, I've been following this fellow named Reverend Dr. William Barber. Oh, yes. North we Carolina, know him well. <laughs> out of North Carolina. And um, he came to Nashville to do a training last spring. And I, I went to it, and at the time, uh, it was just, just before Easter, and our state legislature was going to uh, have a vote on uh, Medicaid expansion in the, um, or the, the, the I should, should say the state legislature in, in Tennessee, the, the Republican Party has a supermajority. Mm-hmm. So the, the, Democratic, the Democrats in the state legislature really can't do a lot. In the way of of getting legislation passed, they honestly can't do much of it. But but they can bring things up in committee. And there were some some votes that were going to happen the next week during Easter week that were looking to on the Republican side they were looking to to, to slash benefits and and on the Democratic side we were trying to get a, a vote at least in the committee on uh, on Medicaid expansion. And by the end of that training that day with Reverend Reverend Dr. Barber. Um, he ended that training with asking us, what, what were we going to do about the current situation in the state? What were we willing to do? And right there, about a dozen of us formed the organizing committee for Moral Movement Tennessee and decided that we were going to take our concerns to the governor. Um, governor Haslam had uh, voiced his support for Medicaid expansion, um, but because changes to the state law had been made, he had no authority to do that uh, expansion himself. It had to be due to, to the legislature. 
Uh, and while he had voiced support for it, that's really all he had done. He had not really put any of his uh, political power uh, to work for it. He had also refused to meet with any groups who wanted to work on Medicaid expansion. So that was on a Thursday. Um, the next week was Easter week. And on Tuesday, a dozen of us went to the governor's office and requested a meeting with the governor. We were refused. And we told the staff there that because we had been trying to meet and had been refused any communication, that we were just going to wait until we heard from the governor. And we were willing to wait there as long as it took. And he, again, they, his office refused. And so we settled in <laughs> and uh, served one another communion and, um, hmm. and, and waited. And we were, um, we were all eventually arrested. There, 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 there comes a point when the only response to this kind of deliberate infliction of pain and deliberate cruelty is to take your physical body and place it at the seat of power. And um, I think it's, it's, you're an inspiration to people across the country. Yes. Right. And so I think you're strong. I think you're strong. You are, you know, you were locked out uh, to health care, access to health care because of a pre-existing condition before the Affordable Care Act was made law. You're one of two million veterans who depend on Medicaid. Uh, you've been featured in Self Magazine for your activism, and you continue to speak out about the importance of Medicaid, all while you have defied the odds when it comes to uh, what the survivability rate is for uh, metastatic breast cancer. What What is it that keeps you fighting and uh, talking out about the importance of protecting Medicaid? Why do, why do you do that? Well, my faith compels me to. For one thing, you know, I just I un, I unabashedly love my country. My family has has lived in this in in the state, not just the country, in the state for over 200 years. I have descendants that have that have served in in every war this country's ever waged, um, and including myself, I served during the, the first Gulf War. Why is it essential that pre-existing conditions be covered under the health care law? Well, I think. Kelly's story is a, a powerful one, and it's like reason number one is that uh, there are prevent preventable things that could be done, and that people with pre-existing condition exclusions, um, if you have an exclusion and you can't get health insurance, you're obviously not going to be able to to get that kind of preventive care. It's also, from a systems point of view, it's just stupid. Hi, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to this episode, Medicaid, the heart of the matter. In this segment, we're talking with Thomasine Wilson. Thomasine is joining us by phone from Richmond, Virginia. She is a home care worker, and she's a member of SCIU 512, where she is a home care chairperson. Thomasine, thank you for joining us by phone today. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. Listen, I always say home care workers are some of my absolute most favorite people in the world. So thank you for the great work you do every day. You're very welcome. 
Thomasine, so as I mentioned, you're in Richmond, Virginia. Why do you think so many Virginians got behind the issue of expanding Medicaid to cover more people in recent months? Oh, I think a lot of people got behind the issue because they finally got educated on what it entailed. Um, too many people didn't know what Medicaid covered. You thought it was just for single women with children, but it paid for home care workers. It paid for medication, supplies for disabled people and for seniors. It is a whole lot that that money actually, and then even the, the waiver slots and everything come out of that money. So knocking doors and calling people and texting and using all forms of social media to connect and contact them and give them information, they got educated. And then we had a legislator that was in our corner and he was for working people. Mm-hmm. So it was that made it easier for people to get the information, knowing we had some support on the inside. Right. And when you say legislator, are you referring to now Governor Northam? Oh, yes, absolutely, because I knocked the many doors for his campaign, and I was just so glad to, once I mentioned him, people were like, oh, I've been hearing this, and I'm already on board. And so you talked about how critical it was to educate voters as you were getting out the vote and canvassing and phone banking. Educate me real quickly. How many more Virginians now have or will have access to health care because of the Medicaid expansion in the state? Oh, about 400,000 people will have access to Medicaid um, now because of expanding Medicaid. So this is going to make a difference, a major difference for a lot of families. It sure is. It's a huge win for for Virginians. Uh, Congratulations and thank you for all the work that you and the local uh, VA 512 put in on that campaign. So, Thomasine, my last question for you is, why is Medicaid important to you as a home care worker? Oh, I can answer that. It's very important to me because I was one of those people that fell deep in the gap. A single woman with no kids at home, kids are grown and gone. Don't have grandkids at home, not married. You have some single women who don't have children yet. They're fall in that gap, and they're a working class of people. Every job you work on also does a lot of jobs are full-time temps, so therefore you don't get 40 hours, you don't get benefits. So they fall in that gap as well. So I'm just glad to know that this is passed so I can get some insurance. I can go to whatever doctor I want to go to. I can get my mammograms, pap smears, whatever, with health issues I have going on. Or if, if I'm sick, I can go to the doctor. And I'm just glad to know that I can go just like anybody else to the doctor and be seen when I need to be seen. Right. Right. It's definitely a, a right uh, that you should have access to health care. All Americans should. Um, so I'm glad you'll have that now. And Thomasine, thank you. You are one of our home care heroes, um, one of the hundreds of thousands of home care workers across the country who are doing skilled, compassionate, essential work every day that allows seniors and people with disability, like the people you referenced earlier, um, to allow, um, that allows them to stay in their homes with um, dignity and independence. So thank you for your work and thank you for stopping by to chat with us today. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Medicaid, the heart of the matter on this episode of Healthcare on the Front Lines. A special thanks to our guests, Rob Restucia and Kelly Gregory. Thank you so much to both of you for stopping by and sharing your expertise and your personal stories. We truly appreciate you. Let us, as Kelly said, as we are 
getting out the vote and preparing to hold our elected leaders accountable in upcoming months. Let us, in our pursuit to protect health care and access to health care and particularly Medicaid, I hope we will all love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Healthcare on the Front Lines. Until next time, thank you. Thank you.